Today's show is being brought to you by MyBookie.ag, the absolute best online sportsbook out there. They've been in business for years. The reputation is second to none. They pay out in only two business days. And even better, if you sign up using promo code WCE100, they're going to give you a 100% deposit bonus. That means you deposit $100, MyBookie.ag is going to give you $100 just for telling them we sent you. That goes the same for any deposit. We've done our research. You're not going to find a better online sportsbook. So head over to MyBookie.ag and sign up with promo code WCE100. That's WCE100. I'm Gary Seegers. Catch me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And I'm Chris Giannini. Follow me at ChrisBGiannini. And this is the Winning Cures Everything podcast from WinningCuresEverything.com. Before we get started, please subscribe to the podcast, share it, and review it. We cannot stress how important those reviews are for iTunes rankings, so help us out. Winning Cures Everything. Here are your hosts... Gary and Chris. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything, number 133. This is the Wednesday, September 20th edition of the show. On today's show, we've got Andrew Beaton from the Wall Street Journal. He just put out a new article about Ole Miss uh, and and burner phone issues. Uh, But first, we want to welcome in Neil McCready from rebelgrove.com. He uh, he covers Ole Miss for the site. Uh, It is a rivals.com site. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring him in. All right, we well, welcome into Winning Cures Everything from rebelgrove.com, host of the Beer Garden and the Oxford Exxon podcast. He is Neil McCready. Neil, we appreciate you jumping in with us today to talk some uh, Ole Miss football. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gary. Appreciate it. Now, you, uh, you've been quite the traveler over the last week and a half, right? Uh, yeah, I was in uh, Covington, Kentucky, which is just right across the river from Cincinnati. So I actually went into Cincinnati two or three times. Um, I was there from Sunday night until Wednesday afternoon. Um, I flew to Chicago on Wednesday afternoon. I went to see a couple of Cubs games. Um, And then uh, on Friday morning, I flew out of Chicago to San Francisco for the the Ole Miss-California game and uh, flew back, got into Memphis around, I guess, 4.30 on on Sunday afternoon. So... Yesterday, I was sort of in a fog. Yeah, I could imagine that. I could imagine that. So, well, let's, uh, let, first off, tell me, it, is Berkeley as gorgeous as everybody tells me it is? You know, I didn't see Berkeley that much. Um, I stayed in San Francisco. Um, I, uh, I hung out mostly in San Francisco. Um, I biked across the Golden Gate Bridge on Saturday morning. So I guess I got into Sausalito briefly, um, and then uh, and then went back into San Francisco, and, and and I caught an Uber straight to the stadium. So I only saw a little bit of it. Um, the setting in the stadium was was gorgeous, yes, but I I really didn't I really didn't see the campus. I probably should have uh, done more that more of that than I did. But uh, to be honest, I'm I'm a I'm a massive massive Chicago Cubs fan, <laughs> and. Um, and uh, I spent my Saturday afternoon in San Francisco watching the Cubs and Cardinals on a computer. I, I so can completely I'm, understand. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a I'm kind of a junkie. Um, I laugh at people who obsess over my 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 Ole Miss fandom or lack thereof because they refuse or they cannot comprehend that um, 
my uh, my affinity for the Cubs goes back so far and so deep that there really is no emotional capacity for for anything else. Let's go ahead and dissect what we saw Saturday night with Ole Miss and Berkeley. All right, uh, Ole Miss loses to Cal twenty seven sixteen in a game where at one point they're leading sixteen to seven. It, tell me this: Is Cal a good team, or was this just a result of injuries and self-inflicted penalties, et cetera? No, neither one of those teams were any good. Um, putting it bluntly, Cal's not good, um, and they played without their two best wide receivers, their their best running back out for the year. That was their first game without him. Um, they have some playmakers on defense. They, they did some good things. Uh, I think Justin Wilcox is a good coach. Um, they were pretty disciplined as, as a group, but no, they're not. They're not a good team. They missed a couple of field goals. They they bogged down in the red zone. Uh, had some had a couple of turnovers of their own. Um, they're they're not going to make noise in the Pac-12. That's for sure. Ole Miss just isn't good either. Ole Miss is a really flawed team. There's a narrative that's out there about Ole Miss about how talented they are, and yes, they have some high-level talent in a few spots, but. But all in all, it's not a it's not an overly talented team. Um, it it's not a deep team. Um, they don't have much room for error, and and there was a lot of error on Saturday. Yet penalties killed them. There's no question about that. But their inability to run the football, the common thing we talked about it. Their inability to run the football really makes it difficult offensively to generate offense. Uh, they they had a 71-yard touchdown pass. They had a 72-yard touchdown pass. That was, that's all well and good. It's great. I mean, obviously, you want to score points, and people yeah. love explosive plays. That being said, they can't generate a drive. And when they lost Sean Rawlings uh, early in the game, they had to shift Javon Patterson to center, had to put Alex Gibbons in. Their offense was out of sync. It was out of sorts. You throw in penalties. You throw in the lack of ability to run the ball. And it's always third and long. And third and long is really hard in football. And Ole Miss was in third and long all day, and that is not the way to win football games. And they didn't win. Now, is there anything? There's there's just no depth on the offensive and defensive lines whatsoever. Is there? Like, there's nothing they can do to shore that up. Uh, there's not much depth. No, they, I mean the truth is, on their offensive line recruiting, they've had some guys that have either been slow to develop or they haven't developed yet to the point that they're on the field. Uh, Greg Little's very good at left tackle. Um, Rod Taylor does some things at right tackle, but he also gives you a penalty a night. He had another unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. He basically gets one a game. Uh, Rawlings is a good player, but they lost Rawlings. They had to move Patterson to center, and he struggled. Uh, Givens struggled some at guard. They, they, and, and then, look, I don't know that it's as much the offensive line as it is. They just don't have an SEC running back. Jordan Wilkins does some good things. Devon Penniman does some things. Uh, Swinney's just not back from the knee injury. They just don't have that Darius Geis, the kid at Tennessee, number four. I can't think of his name right John now. John Kelly. Um, yeah, they don't. Yeah. They don't have those guys. They don't have a Bo Scarborough. They don't have. Uh, why? Uh, why do you think that at, is at Auburn? They, because I mean, it, well, it's been like that since before Houston Nutt was there. Um, yeah, they haven't really had. They haven't really had an, an impact running back since Dexter McCluster, um, with, with the exception of Jalen Walton. Jalen Walton had a better career at Ole Miss than people give Jalen Walton credit for having. And Akeem Judd made an NFL roster. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know why. They, they've got – it's 
I mean, we could go a long time on this topic. <laughs> it, it, it's for all of the accusations of them running a dirty program. See, I, I always, people do this with me and, and I say, people talk about them cheating and I think you have to put maybe tried tried to cheat did they try to cheat <laughs> yeah probably um, everybody does but man they've lost a lot of recruiting battles at key spots they've lost a lot of recruiting battles at running back at linebacker um, at safety positions of, of great need on their roster where if the narrative is, man, they cheat like crazy, they just throw buckets of cash at dudes. Well, then why don't they have any of those players? Yeah, I've said this. I've said this many times. They're either they they're either not now. Are they sloppy? Yes. There's so much sloppiness in the NOA, the notice of allegations that it's 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 almost comical. But there's not really the only pay for play in the NOA is Leo Lewis which if they're guilty of it is significant um, a little bit with like Herbert Moore, which is really small. And that's about it. There's like no pay for play in there. They're either not guilty of the reputation that they have, or they're the worst cheaters in the history of college football. Because if they <laughs> cheated the way that they're accused of cheating, they'd have linebackers. They'd have some safeties. They'd have a running back somewhere. They would have impact players, I, not across the board necessarily, but in, in key spots. Yeah, it's why I wrote when they lost Cam Akers in December. I said it was a catastrophic loss for their program. Not because Cam's the greatest running back in the history of the world. We'll see. I don't know. But it's because that's a position of need. It's a homegrown player who probably would have gone to Ole Miss had it not been for the NCAA cloud, and they lost him. It was, a, it was a major loss. It was, a, it was a devastating loss. It was it was em, it was emblematic of a program that needs to basically start over. And they're hanging on and, and getting through this year. But I expect at the end of the season, you're going to see something resembling wholesale change. Okay. Now, look, I've been super excited about you coming on the show. Uh, because at least to me, you tell it like it is. You don't buy into narratives. You don't try and spin anything. Uh, I am considered an Ole Miss hater for the stuff that I write. Uh, truth is, I don't like dislike. I don't dislike Ole Miss at all. I, I've got family and friends that are alums of Ole Miss. You know, I love the Grove. I love going down there. Uh, I got to tell you, I haven't seen this level of hatred between fan bases since the Alabama NCAA investigation back in like the early two thousands. And that had Alabama-Tennessee yeah. fans foaming at the mouth. Was, was there anything that could have been avoided that might have kept this from getting so ugly between State and Ole Miss? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, and you know, I was covering Auburn, and I guess, the, you know, I covered Auburn as a beat writer from 98 through 2003. And then I was covering the league as a whole down in Mobile. So I was around that Alabama stuff with Tennessee um, quite a bit. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I'm familiar with what you're talking about. And the venom then was nothing really compared to the venom now between these two programs. Um, I think the league should have stepped in. I 
think this represents failure on the part of, of uh, Greg Sankey. But I think if Sly was there, it never would have reached this point. Oh, it's no question about that. I agree with that completely, Gary. Um, Mike Slav would have never allowed it to escalate to this point. Now, Mike Slav probably would have told Ole Miss that you need to move on from, from Hugh Freeze after the first NOA. Yeah. He certainly, he certainly would have told them that after the second NOA. Um, but, you know... Dan Mullen, and I'm not blaming Mullen here. Mullen, Mullen's from Massachusetts. He doesn't care about the Ole Miss Mississippi State <laughs> rivalry on any on any true level. He didn't grow up with it. I mean, he doesn't care. No, he's he playing. He's playing to a fan base. Yes, he's pandering to his base, and he Ole Miss got its panties in a wad when he made the comment about. We're never going to lose to them again. Uh, back in, I guess it was, you know, 09, it's a really big win for, for State. It was a huge loss for Ole Miss. Mullen talked about how he was never going to lose to them. Um, and then he whipped them a couple of times. And then Freeze came in and Freeze beat them. And I might have some of my years off. I, one of these years when Ole Miss won the Egg Bowl at home and they picked on Mullen at the end with the, the on the Jumbotron, they showed Mullen telling his team, we're never going to lose to these guys again, and they did the <laughs> sound and all that stuff. It, it They just kept needling one another, and it got more and more personal. State did all the billboards around the state. Ole Miss did the, you know, State won the game and they took the the egg everywhere. Ole Miss then wins the game and was really obnoxious with the egg on Twitter. And they just kept going at each other. And then the recruiting battles happened. Then the, the, the limited immunity for Leo Lewis was, was a, a mistake again on the part of Greg Sankey. Sankey should never have allowed it to happen. He, he did the step back. Well, I'm, you know, I can't be involved. Uh, no, no, he needed, that's where he needed yeah. to be. He needed to be a godfather at that point and step in and go, nope, not happening. Not happening. <laughs> uh, we're not doing this because once you start down that road, where does it stop? And, uh, where it does it stop? It's, it, it's where I've always said about Alabama and Auburn when I covered the, those programs. Do they like each other? No. But they respect each other. And then the and when I say respect, I mean respect in the sense of I respect a rattlesnake. If there's a rattlesnake in the corner of my kitchen, I'm not gonna go try to kill it. I'm gonna call somebody to come kill it. I'm not getting bit by that snake. I'm scared of that snake. Exactly. I respect that snake. Well, that's what Alabama and Auburn have. They 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 begrudgingly admit that both programs have the ability to be nationally elite and nationally dominant and that messing with them is a real is a way to get bit and exactly. so they don't they want to beat each other's ass make no mistake and they don't like each other but you never see i don't mean fans i'm not talking about i'm not talking about billy bob down there in dothan or i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the two schools Right, the you people involved see. at the school. 
administration you coaches. See them, you don't see them go at each other, rubbing it in their faces when they win the game. The only time it happened was Tommy Tuberville did it with his fingers and all that stuff, and it was a mistake. Yeah. Because it, motiva- it motivated Alabama. Tommy should have left it alone. He should have just won the game, gone to the press conference, said nice things, and gotten out of there. But he didn't. But for the most part, like Nick Saban's won that game, what, last three years or something? He, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't no. say anything. He does not. He doesn't jab. And if Gus Malzahn wins this year, and I don't think they will, but let's say he does, he will not trash talk. No. There will be no there will be no official Twitter trashing of Alabama or of Auburn. It doesn't happen. Well, in this state, it does. And I've advocated that Ole Miss, and look, I don't care. Do what they want to do. I mean, it's a better story for me if they don't. I've said it would be in Ole Miss's best interest the next time they win that game, and it might be a few years. But the next time they win that game, don't don't take the egg. Leave the egg sitting on a table and just let it go. Move on from it. Because it is so much of Mississippi State's identity. And as much as Ole Miss people say it's not part of their identity, they have allowed it to become their identity. And the rivalry's caustic. It's not good for the state. The state's not big enough for this. And state Mississippi State, to, to its credit now, they've done a lot of damage to Ole Miss. This, whether, no matter how this COI ends, how the penalties come down, Ole Miss has been severely damaged by this investigation. And this investigation was kept alive by Mississippi State. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, if Ole, Miss, if, if Ole Miss decides to retaliate, if you will, that's an error. Yeah. They need to let it go. They need to let it go. They need to move on from it. Um, you know, but it's, it's fascinating that the league – let this go this far. Mississippi State, let this go this far. Let's face it, they're kids on the Ole Miss team that got recruited by Mississippi State. I mean, if you're Mississippi State, are you confident? Are you confident that there's nothing that those kids have on one of their phones, on one of their social media accounts that's from a Mississippi State booster offering an inducement? Are you confident? How could you be? How could you? If you're running any SEC program today, Alabama, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Tennessee, whoever. Are you confident? I know them should be. 100%. Oh, of course they're not. They know better. So you're going to go down. <laughs> I mean, you're going you, – I mean, I give Nick Saban a lot of credit. I really do. He – look, you know, I, it's my opinion, my professional opinion, that the NCAA wanted to talk to kids at, at Alabama as well as part of this NCAA investigation into Ole Miss. I just think Nick Saban put a stop to it. He knew – the last thing I want is NCAA investigators on my campus. It's the last thing I want, them talking to my players, because you can't control a booster network. Yeah, it's impossible. You can do your job, and you can stay away from that kind of thing, but Nick Saban's a smart man. He knows when he was at LSU and when he's at Alabama now that stuff happens. Yeah. And, and you have you no have way of knowing. Well, yeah, and you make sure you don't know. Exactly. You just make sure you make sure you don't know. You stay away from it. And he didn't allow that to that that to happen on his campus. And Mississippi State did, and and um, it's a bad look for the league. It's I, I, again, I mean, I'm rambling on it. I, I'm shocked to this day that Greg Sankey let it get that far. 
That's now I've only got you for a few more minutes. I want to get in a couple more questions real quick. Uh, my co-host and I stated numerous times we don't like the way the NCAA does things. Uh, you know, a player sleeping on a coach's couch being considered a penalty is just ridiculous to me. It's stupid. Um, on the other side of things, everybody understands what the rules are, and if you're going to play loose with yeah. them, then you got to be ready for the yeah. consequences. Uh, tell me this. Yeah. The COI hearing was last week, and the NCAA process is that it takes six to eight weeks before they announce their decision regarding it. Uh, yeah. Why in the hell does it take that long? Like, do they decide quickly and sit on it, or do they reconvene in a month and a half? Like, do you know how this works? Because it makes no sense yeah, to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're busy people, and they have other jobs. It's not their full-time gig. So, I mean, you know, they, they'll they get together at different times and talk through things, and then it's a bureaucracy. Everything takes forever. Um, for Ole Miss, if, if, as long as they get a ruling sometime in early to mid-November, they're fine. They'll be able to conduct a coaching search. I mean, they're – I'm sure they're reaching out to people as we speak and touching base with agents and that kind of thing. And one of the big questions that anyone's going to have and have to have an answer before you take the job is what are the penalties? Right. Not what, what, not what might the penalties be. What are they? They're definitive. Well, that, now, that brings me here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I think for Ole Miss, they're perfectly fine with six to eight weeks. Pat Forty had a story, um, the last Monday that it was going to be after the Egg Bowl, and if I'm Ole Miss, if I'm Ole Miss at that point, when I read that story, and I had no doubt they did, I'm in contact with the NCAA saying that's not acceptable. That's not part of that's at no part is that part of of what you've done in the past. That's not acceptable. That is adding a penalty. That almost looks uh, intentional on your part when you do it. That that's not acceptable, and I have no doubt that that the people at Ole Miss—I don't know this for a fact—but I would I would guess that they have made that that very clear to the NCAA that that's not acceptable. And right, you brought up the coaching search across the yeah. country. Tons of people are trying to figure out who's going to be coaching Ole Miss next season. I'm curious more as to who will be hiring the coach. Um, it, uh, when when I women's basketball, well, that's that's what I'm getting to when. When Adrian Wiggins was fired back in 2012, uh, Bjork was quoted as saying, although there is no current evidence that Coach Wiggins was complicit in or had direct knowledge of this misconduct, as head coach, he is accountable for the actions of those who report to him. Now, first, why would Bjork backfreeze for this exact same thing but fire Wiggins? And second on that, is, is Bjork's job in trouble? And if it's not, why is it not? Um, I don't know whether it is or isn't. I mean, I think you got to see how this NCAA thing turns out. If if they walk away from this with just the one year bowl ban, um, I think Bjork's fine. Yeah, because they would have they would have made a long play and won. Um, if they if there's a two year bowl ban, um, that impacts their coaching search. I don't know how I don't know who over there is safe, honestly. Um, I, the the Wiggins thing, I don't know. The Freeze thing. It's my opinion that Ross Bjork wanted to make a change when the second NOA came down and that he didn't have the booster supports to do it. There was still a tremendous booster infatuation with Hugh Freeze that went all the way up until uh, the escort thing that ultimately led to his firing or his dismissal. Um, 
you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to belittle Bjork with that because that is a situation that would happen at a lot of places. Um, you know, I, I think I'm one that thinks that when it became obvious that there was on draft night, that there was going to be another NOA, I would have let Hugh Freeze go at that point. But you have to remember now, if you fire Hugh Freeze that day, two things. One, you just fired a coach who just won the Sugar Bowl. And two, you're firing a coach at the risk of... Of having the same thing that happened with Billy Brewer back in 94. Well, yeah, but in this case, even worse. What happens if you fire Hugh Freeze and let's say that Hugh Freeze wins in front of the COI and failure to monitor doesn't stick and a lot of the Lewis stuff gets thrown out? And Hugh Freeze's residual damage from the NCAA isn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. Well, now you just fired him without cause. And he can come back and, and he can come back and say, "So, okay, well, give me my eighteen million dollars." Exactly. Well, eighteen million dollars is a lot of money, and uh, you know, so it's more complicated than when when some of the national talking heads say, "Well, they should have just fired him." Well, it's not. It's never that simple. You know, it's my opinion they were they were waiting to see what would happen. I don't think it was a situation where Ross Bjork really wanted to ride with Hugh Freeze, but maybe he he didn't he didn't have as much of a choice as people think. And then there were certainly financial implications. And and so when when the when it worked out the way that it did this summer, Ole Miss was able to not only not only cut bait with Hugh Freeze and disassociate itself from him. They were able to make sure that they didn't have to worry about the eighteen million dollars because that eighteen million dollars is going to come in handy here in the next few months when you get out into a competitive market to search for a coach. He is Neil McCready. Go read him at rebelgrove.com. Follow him on Twitter at Neil McCready and go listen to the Beer Garden and the Oxford Exxon podcast. That Neil, we could talk for hours, I would imagine. Hopefully, uh, you'll come back on with us soon. We'll do. Thanks, Gary. Absolutely appreciate it, buddy. As you guys know, there's a lot of online sportsbooks out there. MyBookie.ag is the only one that gets my stamp of approval, and you know I don't give that out lightly. To get my endorsement, I've got to personally use them, and that means they have to be the best. And MyBookie.ag is by far the best sportsbook I've used. Go to MyBookie.ag, enter in promo code WCE100 for a 100% deposit bonus. That basically means that they're going to double your first deposit, so immediately you're making money. Go knock that thing out. Go to mybookie.ag, click sign up, and enter promo code WCE100. We want to welcome in reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Andrew Beaton, who just put up uh, an article on Tuesday entitled Burner Phone Accusation Marks New Chapter in Old Miss Scandal. Uh, Andrew, first off, did I say that last name right? You got me right. You got me right. Thanks so much. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. All right. I, I know you're a busy man. I appreciate you jumping on with us. Uh, the latest article regarding Ole Miss details athletic director Ross Bjork asking coaches last month to uh, to sign a form to show that they did not use burner phones to contact recruits. Uh, if you could, can you can you kind of give the listeners a briefing on what exactly has gone on with the story? Well, sure. There, so, so we had received some documents from uh, records requests that talked about how, how uh, five days after Hugh freezes Astor at Ole Miss, that the lawyer for Houston Nutt, um, who also had sort of set the wheels in motion for uh, the freeze news, who's all, had contacted uh, Ole Miss to let them know that they had reason to believe 
perceive that Hugh Freeze and other football coaches is had been using burner phones to to conceal improper contact with recruits and you know they had some settlement talks but those didn't come to fruition and then later or uh the lawyer, Houston Nuts lawyer or stepped it up and said you know we have an affidavit saying that testifies to Hugh Freeze's uh use of burner phones that conceal uh improper recruiting contact and it's this fascinating situation we have down here at Ole Miss where there's not just this NCAA investigation, there's the former coach suing his success, his over what he they allege was his successor and Ole Miss officials trying to badmouth him and blame the NCAA investigation on Houston Nutt. And so in addition to all that, we have, have this lawsuit from Houston Nutt that's sort of dredging up information or alleged information about how about what's really gone on at Ole Miss, which I think has been a fascinating situation for everyone to watch because this program went from um, being one of the big powerhouses. I mean, just two years ago, they were the Sugar Bowl winner. They had beaten Alabama in back-to-back years, and now Hugh Freeze is gone. We have uh, Matt Luke coaching the team, and we still don't know what the NCAA will eventually come out and say. Now, the the story says that uh, athletic director Ross Bjork asked coaches to sign this form in August. Uh, it doesn't state whether the form was, you know, to be signed by current coaches or former coaches or other employees in the football building, etc. You stated in the story that 29 different people had to sign forms showing they didn't use burner phones. Now, does that include Hugh Freeze and Barney Fair and Chris Kiffin and all these others that were named in the NCAA investigation? Like, is 29... I believe... I- is, is that I the number the that's signed? Figure, I believe the 29 figure is the number, is people who are currently on staff at Ole Miss. Um, I mean, in, I'm sure that they would love to have information from uh, former staff members, but it's difficult, more difficult to compel someone to sign a form like that when they're no longer employed at the university. Um, so, uh, from my knowledge, this was a form given to the current staff members. And what's interesting about the form is that, um, you know, college coaches, anyone who's involved with recruiting, they frequently have to fill out certain boilerplate forms that talks about their, their contact with recruits and how they're doing that. This was a next-level one that was specifically in response to the allegations coming from Houston Nuts lawyer or and that that information and this form didn't just ask say write down your phone number it specifically called out burner phones so okay so you wrote uh, on July 25th five days after freeze's dismissal Marsh wrote a text message to the school's lead lawyer alleging that freeze and at least three other staff members used burner phones on a regular basis to hide communications with the recruits that would violate NCAA rules uh, it goes on to say that Mars has the sworn affidavit testifying to Freeze's use of burner phones, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what would be the purpose of Ole Miss? I mean, I guess it would be proactive for the current coaching staffs, but right now, what what would this have to do with whether or not Hugh Freeze and anybody else that was on the former staff? Do you see where I'm coming from? Like, well, <laughs> I'm yeah, not but sure exactly. Well, so I mean, these three other coaches were not. Some of them could still be on staff. I mean, I, there's some names you mentioned, but uh, those and but those names aren't necessarily the ones. And what's also interesting is that 
everything, a lot of these people, even the ones who are still on staff, they came from the Hugh Freeze coaching staff. They're part of his coaching tree. And when you're trying to uncover everything that's gone on, you wonder, are they carrying on the same practices that their former coach may have? And so I think when those accusations are leveled, they had to ask the current staff and, you know, whether that was an exhaustive way of figuring that out, that's up for other people to decide, but their way of trying to go about it was giving this form to the coaches. Gotcha. I, yeah, it, it it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me for it, for them to come out and say, oh, you know, we've got 29 signatures that said that nobody's using burner phones, when really the story is whether or not they were. You know, I, I don't think it's as big of a case going forward. Um, it's more to do with, you know, what Thomas Mars was was looking for. So it, it sounds like Mars has a lot of proof on his side. Uh, otherwise, I don't believe he would be making these accusations public. Do you agree with that? Uh, I agree with that. I mean, I think uh, Thomas Mars has uh, proved himself uh, credible throughout all this. I mean, it stands to see how the litigation between uh, Houston Nutt and Ole Miss will go. But I, it, it's interesting because just because he and his legal team and Houston Nutt's legal team, they've uncovered a real treasure trove of information so far, even though it's only e they're interested in finding out information about how it and if the anyone in the Ole Miss administration or Hugh Freeze uh, spread misinformation about the NCAA violations and tried to blame it on Houston Nutt. And in the process of investigating everything about the university, they've seemingly found even more about uh, the conduct of what went on. And, I mean, these are still just allegations for now. Uh, nothing, nothing certain, but they found out a lot of information that wasn't in the NCAA's notice of allegations, wasn't anything that was turned up in a, an Ole Miss internal review, and it's a fascinating way for this flow of information to come out. Now, it, it, we'll wrap up with this. I, I don't want to keep you for too long, but it, Mars has offered numerous times to get this case settled. Uh, what is your best guess as to why Ole Miss has refused to settle uh, rather than continue letting this PR nightmare just ensue? Well, I mean, you can think of a lot of reasons. I don't want to speak on behalf of uh, Ross Bjork or the lawyers at the University of Mississippi, but I think a anybody who has followed this news could come up with a few good reasons. I mean, the first one, maybe they think that they're in the right and they don't believe they badmouth Houston Nutt and they're not going to uh, just settle something for the sake of getting someone away. It's, that's entirely possible and they've denied the allegations. So it's possible it's as simple as that. It's also possible it gets them into hot water if they do settle because if they settle then they admit they did another thing wrong which is uh, which means they were spreading misinformation and that could get them into other types of hot, hot water. So depending on on how you look at it any of those explanations could make sense and there's always realities that are between the two that's it man we could talk about this forever uh we're gonna have to get you back on the and, show and so i'm i'm <laughs> glad that we uh that we got to talk to you about it so uh, go ahead you uh, did, did so you have something else to add I, here? i've always enjoyed listening no i, I just it. uh it's it's been a fascinating scandal to watch oh, unfold because so you nice. know this isn't just any football program it's a team that was really at the 
near the top of the sport for a number of years under this coach, and people are starting to learn, whether it's through the NCAA or this litigation, what went on there. I, I agree. I agree. So I, make sure go read his stuff. Andrew Beaton, Wall Street Journal. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Andrew L. Beaton. Uh, Andrew, can we? Yeah, we got to get you back on eventually. Can we get you back here in a couple of weeks? Absolutely, I'd enjoy that. Thanks Absolutely. so much. All right, we appreciate it, buddy. Take care. It's time for the rundown. Remember, check out winningcureseverything.com. You can give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash winningcureseverything. You can follow us on Twitter, at winningcures. You can follow myself, at GaryWCE. You can follow me at Chris B. Giannini, C-H-R-I-S-B-G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I. You can also email the show, that's winningcureseverything at gmail.com. And we now have a voicemail line. That number is 551-226-9899. If you want to call and bash us for talking bad about your favorite team, or praise us, or just tell us about how awesome your team is doing, leave us a voicemail. That number again is 551-226-9899, and we may toss it on the show. Thank you for supporting this show, and until next time... Have a good one, guys. Hey, don't forget, subscribe to the Winning Cures Everything podcast on iTunes and make sure you leave a review. For every 25 written five-star reviews we get on iTunes, we are donating to St. Jude's Children's Hospital and Le Bonheur's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. So subscribe and review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast apps. Remember, the Winning Cures Everything podcast.